hi everyone. Just wanted to let you know we've done something a little different with this episode and it is largely comprised of listener submissions talking about the experience of being trans in Scotland. Uh, due to the nature of the topic, some of the submissions contain content listeners might find distressing, including references to death, self-harm and suicide. We just wanted to make sure that you were aware before heading into this episode. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Talking Sense, the sensibility podcast, part of the Ungagged family. I'm your co-host, Kat. I'm your co-host, Erin. And we are two North American women attempting the impossible. Talking Sense about Scottish politics. Today, we're bringing you a very special episode as Scottish Parliament is going to debate and hopefully pass gender recognition reform. Uh, so what Aaron and I are going to do is pass over our co-hosting duties to two trans friends of ours, because what this episode is about is listening to trans people. So with that in mind, we'd like to introduce you to Mriddle and Steph. Hi, I'm Rudul Wadwa. I am a trans woman from India who now lives in Scotland. Um, I work in the gender-based violence sector uh, in a leadership role. Hey, I'm Steph Payton. I'm a journalist and a writer, uh, and I tend to write around and, and, and publish columns about LGBT issues in Scotland and recently, more specifically, about the process of reforming the Gender Recognition Act. So in addition to having two additional co-hosts today, um, part of wanting to center uh, trans voices who just aren't being centered enough in, in this discussion that is fundamentally about their lives, we've asked our listeners for um, audio and written submissions to tell us um, about what uh, the GRR bill, that's the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, means to them and to tell us a bit about what being trans in Scotland in 2022 is like. Um, so we have some recordings um, from our listeners that we'll be playing for you. And then we um, also have some Brit submissions that Myrtle and Stuff will be reading out and we will Myrtle and Stuff will also be sort of talking about their experiences. So um, we'll just get started uh, playing our, our first recording. Almost in a very ironic way, I was lucky coming out in 2016 because when I came out as a trans woman, all five main parties, including the Conservatives, said that the Gender Recognition Act needed to be reformed. But I've waited and I've waited and, and I'm here I am six years later waiting for them to do a very small thing uh, to change the Gender Recognition Act. So when I die, I'm able to be buried under the right gender. The reason why I say that is because right now, birth certificates and the gender on your birth certificate informs your death certificate when you die. So if you've not changed your birth certificate and you've changed uh, and you've transitioned, then you will be buried under the wrong sex or the wrong gender. And I think that's absolutely abhorrent. And I think it's abhorrent that so many politicians have tried to delay this over a very small thing. And it really shows how much they hate trans people because they're not willing 
to show a shred of humanity over such a small change that would make a massive difference. This isn't a new right. This is the exact same thing that's 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 been there since I, I believe 2004 when Labour put in the Gender Recognition Act. I've waited way too long for this and I'm waiting for a very dignified and humane way to be able to get a gender recognition certificate. Uh, the only other use that a gender recognition certificate has would be for marriage and some tax purposes. I don't really have a massive interest in getting married. Um, but I will die, <laughs> unfortunately, I know, but I will, I will pass. And when I do, I want to be remembered in, in a way that, that I would like to be. Because death is, is really scary. And it's inevitable. It will come for us all. It will come for me. It will come for you. And the only way we can control that slightly is through decisions that we make. What kind of stories do we want to be told at our funeral? What do we want our wake to be like? Do we want to be cremated or do we want to be buried? So many things, so many memories um, and so many stories that we want to keep alive in people's memories so that there's a hint of us that is still there when we pass away. That That's all what I want from this. And preferably, if, if I could rewind time, um, there's bigger issues that we need to talk about. We've got things right now like a trans healthcare crisis going on. And that healthcare crisis is just getting worse and worse and worse. And we've been sidelined and distracted talking about the Gender Recognition Act. Meanwhile, waiting lists are so long that, that trans people are dying on those waiting lists because of how long they are, because of the stress and, and the complete hostility some doctors have for us, the total um, lack of healthcare trans people receive in Britain. That's what I'm really concerned about. I'm really concerned about what are trans people getting right now in terms of our healthcare. So we can live a full healthy life. Um, but this debate has just went on and on and on and so much disinformation has went out and it's disinformation, not misinformation because people are, are, are trying to radicalize, exaggerate and, and outright lie to people on purpose to whip up hatred and make trans people's lives worse. So really the, the reason why this matters so much to me and the reason why I want to see this bill passed this year in, in, in 2022, the only reason why I want it to pass is so I can eventually die in dignity and that we can get on to talking about trans healthcare so we can make sure trans people live longer and happier lives. I, I haven't applied for a gender recognition certificate uh, despite having been out as trans for, for coming up to five years now. Um, and the reason for that is because it's actually impossible um, for me to, to get one at the current moment. Um, and the reason for that is because the, the current process for obtaining uh, a gender recognition certificate under the, the, the current Gender Recognition Act um, requires you to undergo a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. That's a medical diagnosis that you have to, to get following a, a psychiatric assessment, which is a process that in and of itself is already uh, demeaning, dehumanizing, um, and, and just not fit for purpose. But it's also a, a process that 
I just don't have the option of, of getting right now. And the reason for that is because you, you have to, to get that through a psychiatrist, through the gender identity clinic system. And trans healthcare in Scotland is so broken right now. We've got waiting lists. I mean, I've been waiting for, for about four and a half years now with no sight uh, of when I'm going to get an initial appointment. And that's just an initial appointment. They don't do psychiatric assessments in the initial appointment. That comes much later. Um, and there are really long waits between appointments as well. And so that means that the only other option that I have in order to get that psychiatric assessment and get a gender recognition certificate is to go private. And that can cost hundreds of pounds, um, money that I just don't have. And there are additional costs as well because you have to submit so much evidence. Um, it's just not not practical um, for, for anyone who doesn't have the money to be able to, to, to go private and to, to pay up for it. So... I'm really looking forward to, to being able to apply under um, the, the new bill, which will come into force um, if the, the, the Gender Recognition uh, Reform Scotland bill is passed uh, in Parliament. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, for me, although getting a gender recognition certificate is a, a really simple thing, it just means that, you know, if you get married, if you pass away, that, that you know, your marriage or your death is recorded correctly, it means you can update your birth certificate. And that's a small thing. But it means that if I do want to get married, that can be a really special, happy, joyous day for me rather than one that's stressful and worrying as to whether or not the marriage will be recorded correctly. It means that if I were to, to pass away, that I know that I'll have dignity in death. So it's really important. Um, I, I think that this bill does pass um, and it will open up um, the, the option for a lot of trans people who've been waiting for years to finally be able to get that gender recognition certificate. But I think even once the bill does pass, there's a lot more work to be done. The bill is far from perfect. It's far from world leading. It doesn't recognise non-binary people. Um, and some of the, the amendments that have been put in it at stage two of the bill as well are just, just not good enough, um, particularly the, the provisions for those who are under 18. Um, and and additional to that, like I say, trans healthcare in this this country is fundamentally broken. Um, and there's a lot of work that is already going on within the Scottish government to, to reform that, but that needs to, to be given the, the focus and attention that it deserves. And we really do need urgent and drastic reform to trans healthcare because the system right now is just not good enough. I mean, there are so many things in that um in that bit of audio there, um, I think it really clearly encompasses the many challenges of, of being trans in this country. And while the debate, you know, seems to have focused or a lot of the attention of, of most of the world's folks seems to have focused on the GRR reform and the bill, um, actually, I think the bigger challenges is, is what was said there around healthcare and the time it takes uh, to access that in this country. Um, I mean, I have many thoughts, but I'll maybe unpick some of those as we go on. Steph, I don't know what your initial uh, response is to that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as, honestly, the, the, the whole debate around the GRR Scotland bill is really frustrating to me because yeah as Ellie and yourself say healthcare is actually the 
biggest issue for trans people right now. It's, you know, like updating certification for having dignity in the event of, you know, death or marriage is an important thing. But at the same time, I mean, arguably a bigger issue is the fact that we just don't have access to healthcare. We just do not have access to uh, the kind of healthcare that allows us to either transition or to even begin the process of getting a gender recognition certificate. It is years and years and years of waiting, and that is a bigger issue. And it's really frustrating that it's almost been swept to the side for what is functionally a culture war <laughs> around trans people and people quite cynically um, using arguments against transgender people and scaremongering for their own, in many ways, political reasons for doing so. Uh, you know, I'm not sure some people I think probably do have, uh, you know, real reasons or, or they think they have real reasons for opposing, but there's so much cynicism in it as well. It's just deeply frustrating for me. And as a non-binary person, knowing that this bill is coming through and it doesn't actually address any of the issues that personally affects me. Uh, it's, you know, that was a real gut punch and that kind of got taken out and watered down, which is the process that the bill has gone through of being watered down over time. You know, it's just been, <laughs> and I'm sure you'll agree, a deeply frustrating process from beginning to end uh, so far, although we are not yet at the end, even if it is hopefully close. I agree. And I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, like many people have said, this has been such a consulted piece of legislation um, and what could have been world leading and really quite transformative for all trans people. It just seems to be getting watered down and as it progresses through various stages and the sort of amendments that are being proposed, uh, right from trying to make it a, a bill that is completely redundant um, mm -hmm. to, to, to trying to appease uh, a small group of people who have, as you rightly said, engaged in a culture war about, about something that this bill isn't. Um, and, you know, I'm just reflecting on the impossibility of getting a gender recognition certificate. So having transitioned, um, in India uh, over 20 years ago um, in, a, in a country that, you know, I, in the early years of the internet, it was almost a stroke of luck that I found the, the medical help that I needed to transition. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was much easier to what is happening here in this country, like where a pathway has been created. Um, but it's a you know, but the door is shut to open the gate, literally not even just shut, it's like nails, like nailed down so hard that you can keep knocking and keep knocking, but you won't get anywhere. And, you know, that's like the saddest part of this. But also I think um, what what was said in, in that audio around not being able to access uh, the, the dignity that uh, the gender recognition certificate can offer in marriage and death and maybe other significant parts of our of our life uh, it, it's the same for me like I um, when I transitioned in 
India, there was no mechanism for me to mm -hmm. change my birth certificate. Um, I had a real challenge to try and change my passport, which I was successful, but it's become more and more clear to me as this, as this debate has, has debate or the bill has progressed through parliament, that I would need a gender recognition certificate to have that dignity. I probably will never be able to change my birth certificate that was issued in India, but I think having the GRC will um, will allow me that dignity in death uh, that I probably won't have if I don't have this piece of paper. Um, but like, but I don't have any of the paperwork that a panel that exists today needs to be able to give me this GRC, even if it is meaningless in terms of being able to change my birth certificate. Uh, I just don't have those kind of papers. And I suppose um, in some ways, it was the beauty of the transition that I went through in India that um, all this paperwork was not necessary to for me to transition. I just needed to find the right doctors. Of course, it was private, but uh, it was not the hundreds of pounds um, that that trans people here need uh, to go private, so that you know they are not waiting for years and years. Um, but I guess the bigger issue, of course, is the culture war that has emerged that seems to have centered um, or focused itself on with on the services that I work within, like in in the in the gender on the gender based violence sector, where a majority mm -hmm. of the sector is trans inclusive, and yet you have people insisting that. Um, that that we shouldn't be or that somehow by being trans inclusive we have become unsafe for for women um which is simply not true so yeah yeah it's it's been this really frustrating point repeatedly throughout this discussion about us and about trans people very rarely with us but about us that talks about having to stop reforming the Gender Recognition Act yeah. in order to stop all of these things from happening that by their own logic should already be happening if they're going to, but they're not. Like you're talking about centers that have been trans-inclusive for years or other countries that have brought in systems of self-declaration none of the things <laughs> that they say will happen have happened and it's this weird thing where they're almost arguing it's like oh we have to change the law to stop things that could be happening now from potentially happening in the future even though they haven't happened and aren't happening and yeah. it's 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 this impossible thing to argue with you know i mean talking about dignity is like at the end of the day that's actually what we're asking for it's we want Dignity, we want autonomy, we want the ability to just have a bit of paper. <laughs> Not when we pass or in moments of like great importance in our life, kind of almost misidentify us and misrepresent us. Hmm. It's it's so simple, but the arguments used against us about what we apparently want are so 
detached from the reality of simply wanting dignity. Sure. Uh, I mean, to me, it's like, uh, well, I've just realized in, in the years that I've been sort of caught up in this storm, you know, my name shows up almost every other day in some hateful, uh, given that hateful rant by somebody on social media or something in the national press. Um, uh, I, I think that, you know, this is not even about like I'm so disassociated from the idea of, of me uh, in how I am being presented as some sort of, uh, as, as are so many trans people, as mm -hmm. violent, um, fictitious people, um, like presenting us as though we don't exist. And, and I guess in many ways, uh, as you said rightly, uh, you know, there is no by and for of trans people in this whole process. Like we are completely at the margins of the laws that are being made about our lives or the policies that are being developed about our lives uh, and how we should live our lives. I mean, frankly, uh, we, despite what people might say, we have no real power. Um, to make change and you know we are sort of relying on on those who are not trans uh to make the changes that we are asking for ourselves you literally have no actual power in the sort of within the systems we are, and we do have power in organizing and advocating for ourselves and uh, mm -hmm. all of that yeah. but i suppose we are not we don't own the table um, where the decisions are made. Like, I can't press a button and say yes. I look, I've looked at that committee that has met in the Scottish Parliament, um, uh, you know, the, where most of the work has happened on this bill. And I'm like, uh, not one of us is there saying, yes, this is, this is about us. And I'm, you know, I'm here representing or as a part of of this community that you're passing a legislation against and and as somebody who has so many intersecting identities um as a migrant as a uh, a woman of color those people are represented on that community and on that table um but unfortunately maybe some of them represent the worst of of some of those parts of my identity in that committee room yeah, it feels very much like something out of our hands. I think it's something I think I feel like quite nervous about the vote coming up in the Scottish Parliament is that at the you know when it, when the vote comes around, all of like Scotland's trans community, all we can do is sit and watch as parliamentarians either bring forward and vote on amendments that could destroy the bill, vote the bill down, any other number of things, and. Literally, the people, the only people affected by that bill can just sit and watch. Yeah. That's, that's the only option we have when that's happening. It's, it's just out of our hands and it's quite worrying. It is, but also, like, uh, as you said before, like a whole group of our community is being excluded 
in this bill. So in some ways, I know you think the only people affected by the bill, well, I guess non-binary people are affected by the ineffectiveness of the bill to recognize uh, non-binary people as who they are. Um, and so even within, if if we if anyone was to benefit, it's going to be such a small group of us within that, that community. It's not going to be all of us. And you know that saddens me deeply, um, and and of course, like to me, I am hopeful that whatever happens next week, uh, it feels like an end of something. It's obviously not going to be the end of of the the hate and the and the attempts by people in all kinds of positions, some with a lot of power and others who are uh, at the fringes to try and. Um, tear it up or burn it down or challenge it or whatever it is that they want to do because it's not really going to stop but it just feels like that full stop next week um will give maybe many of us an opportunity to just breathe whatever the outcome like i'm hoping that you know a pause a long pause is most welcome <laughs> whatever the outcome hopefully a positive one uh but even if it's a negative one which i i still think that there is a risk of it um it'll bring an end to something that has plagued us for for so many years now and not even created by us um but by the ineffectiveness of those in power to see it what it is to see it to see what what this um opposition to the bill is really about and to just get the bill over the finish line i mean we're, we're so close now but i mean the fact it took so long is the fact it took so long and it lost so much along the way is you know it's i think when it passes next week it's going to be good and i, I know exactly what you mean about the idea of whatever the outcome there will be space to breathe afterwards but um it doesn't feel like it's even if it passes, it doesn't. It's not going to feel like a total victory, and it's not going to feel like we have to congratulate the Scottish Parliament for doing it because they have caused so much hurt along the way mm. by dragging this out. It feels almost like it's going to be quite a bittersweet moment. So now we're going to move on to the next two audio submissions before hearing more from Riddle and Steph. I'm 47 years old. I currently live in Aberdeen. Um, I'm originally from Leicester in England. I started my transition way back in 2015. So I've got over the two years worth of documents needed to apply for a gender recognition certificate. I've never, but I've never applied for one. I'm unlikely to get married anytime soon. And to be honest, after I die, I'm not too bothered what my obit or gravestone say. And that's all the gender recognition certificate will get me, or a correction to my birth certificate. All my other documentation is correct, my passport, my doctor's records, etc. So under the current system, it's not worth the strum and drang to get one. When the gender recognition reform bill is passed, and it will pass, I will get one, but mostly it's for the people around me when I die, and for the off chance that when I get married. I think a far bigger issue facing trans people today in Scotland is our healthcare. 
There's insanely long waiting times for their first appointments with gender identity clinics. Not to get hormones on prescriptions, but just to get the initial assessment. After two visits to a gender identity clinic, we may get prescribed HRT. And then if we're lucky, other treatments. Currently, I'm seven years after I started my transition, and so far still very far from finishing. So it's hardly surprising that people go to the internet and purchase hormones off the grey market. I think the current model is neither helpful for trans people nor efficient for the NHS. GPs should be trained and empowered to prescribe hormones and other affirming healthcare, just as they can for cis people. And gender identity clinics in their current form should be scrapped and their funding diverted to additional mental health services. Being trans isn't a mental illness, but being trans in a transphobic society can lead to mental health issues, which are then compounded by long wait times. Scotland isn't some perfect utopia to be trans in, but it's far better here than down in England. The worst casual transphobia I've ever experienced was when I went down to London. Trans people in Scotland are somewhat insulated from the hate from down south, but that doesn't mean we're immune to it. Over the last few years, things have been getting worse for us, and the longer we're chained to the UK against our will, the more reactionary ideas we'll get a photoed up here too. Thanks. Initially, I had made an appointment with the head of the gender clinic in Edinburgh at the time, and that actually, that initial appointment went really well in that first meeting, that she likes to have her patients receive surgery um, a year after their initial appointment with her. That kind of, at the time, gave me the idea that, okay, so in a year's time, um, I will be having um, surgery. Cool. Awesome. Great. Then I was put on to hormone replacement therapy. Everything was going fine. But then that year um, came around really quickly and I hadn't had any more appointment. So I ended up ringing up and I was told when I rung up that oh, actually Dr. had uh, retired and that there was nobody there to replace her. So I would just have to wait. So I was in limbo for a really long time. I think it was around about a year or two that I was in limbo. Then eventually things moved from the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary at Little France to the, the Charmers Centre. And my first question said that I'd be having surgery in a year. And well, that was, that was a long time ago now. And his response was, what's the rush? Now, I'm, I'm sorry, but for, first of all, if somebody has promised you something and then doesn't deliver on it and you question it, that should not be the response. So I was quite taken aback. Um, appointments that I had weren't really encouraging at all. Then we had more waits and things started to move on again. The first time surgery came up, it was a case of, oh, you'll, you'll have it um, by November. Then it was Easter. Then it was November again. And eventually I made a complaint to the health board. And things started progressing um, much better after that. Frustrations there was, at that time, there was literally no structure to um, the trans healthcare system at the time. It was a case of, here's hormones, go away, and um, we, we will um, just ignore you for a few years and forget about you. Experiences obtaining a gender recognition certificate, that was actually um, heartbreaking, is the word I'll use for that. Because after I finally had my surgery, 
I got a letter from the surgeon to send to the gender recognition panel that basically says this person has had surgery and with every single piece of information that the gender recognition panel requires, I was rejected. And I was rejected on the grounds of not all the information is here, even though every single piece that they'd asked for was there. So I appealed that decision and that got rejected. So I, I left it for a while. Then I reapplied and got, got the same problem. Appealed, nothing happened. So you can see where this is going. We're kind of stuck in limbo here. So I just went, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this just now. It's upsetting that they will not actually give me a certificate, even though I've given them all the information that they've asked me to provide and I've had my surgery. Then I heard of the gender recognition reform bill. And when I started looking into that, I was like, oh my God, great. They're going to simplify things, make things easier. So, you know, on the question of how will the gender recognition reform bill change my life, it'll change my life significantly. I'll finally be able to change my birth certificate. You know, I had hassle when me and my wife got married um, because the registrar actually refused to put female on our um, marriage certificate, even though we had already had assurances from our celebrant that it it would be possible for us to be put on f as female um, on the marriage certificate. Eventually that was done, though it was a huge um, palaver to have. And actually the people um, at the registrar office kept on misgendering and dead naming both my, myself and my wife. So it, was, it was really horrible. And so the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, as I said, will allow me to change my birth certificate finally, but it, it doesn't stop there, yeah? It means that once I can get a gender recognition certificate, when I eventually die, I'll be recorded as female when I die. And that's quite important to me because I've lived my life as a woman. So I should be recorded as such. One thing that um, I will say about the bill as a whole, there's still a few gaps that need to be plugged, even when it does pass. Um, you know, there's always going to be s still tweaks and stuff to um, needed to be done on it. But in general principle of this bill, it is absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I really am excited um, and looking forward to it being, being there. Now, on the other half of this, though, is because it didn't have a gender recognition certificate, I had trouble with applying for my passport. Now, I didn't get a passport as a child, and until a few years ago, I didn't actually need a passport. It took an entire year for that process to happen from beginning to end, but that could have been held a lot more simpler because my birth certificate hadn't been changed. For getting a first-time passport, the passport office doesn't seem to, at first, acknowledge or even recognize your gender, even though presented them evidence unless you have a gender recognition certificate so yes it would definitely um, change my life but it also make life easier for other people in future so they don't have to go through the hell that myself and many other people have gone through in this entire process i think one of the wow. <clears throat> recurring themes from everyone that we're listening to is just the randomness of whether or not 
try to access healthcare in Scotland as a trans person, you know, will 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 go your way or not. It's very much like on a doctor doctor by doctor basis. You can have a good doctor, you can have a bad doctor. Um, if if anyone ever listens or or watches Philosophy Tube, um, she's a she's a philosopher and does these like fantastic videos. But did one recently about being transgender and and one of the stories that she recounted Abigail Thorne was about, if I remember correctly, basically um going to her doctor, filling out a form to basically be referred to um a gender clinic, waiting for ages and ages and not hearing anything back and then finding out that their doctor had just forgotten to send it and it had been sitting on their desk this entire time. But it's not forgetting really, it's a choice. It's a decision that some medical practitioners have made to functionally get in the way of people trying to transition and to make it more difficult. And, you know, we do have these barriers around transition that don't exist for cisgender people who can access hormones um, from a doctor not needing to go to a specialized clinic or anywhere separate, you know, they can they can be prescribed them for other health concerns. But when you're trans, there's this almost like uh, knee-jerk barrier <laughs> to accessing healthcare that other people can access at the same routes. Um, yeah, and I feel that's very much a story we're hearing over and over again from contributors to this podcast. What I was struck by was the intersection of nationality um, and and gender identity and birth. You know, in that last um, in that last recording. Uh, for there are at least three of us here uh, who, who have gone through the immigration system or are going through it. Um, and the, the panel and the paperwork required and the bureaucracy of the panel just reminds me of the racism and the misogyny of the UK immigration system um, mm -hmm. and how easy it is uh, to deny somebody's nationality is just right there because they didn't have the right piece of paper um and we know that actually did happen to to the windrush uh generation um and it quite easily and as it was suggested it quite easily happened to somebody who's not even an immigrant doesn't have an immigrant history because the paperwork doesn't line up in the way that whoever was dealing with their passport application or the system within which their passport application was made was being dealt with. So I think, um, you know, on one hand, we hear in Scotland a real criticism and a good one of the immigration system and a hope for reform. Um, if if we were to become independent or generally a hope for reform uh, anyway, irrespective of independence, um, I don't know why they would still want to continue this dehumanizing uh, way of getting a gender recognition certificate um, to to humiliate people um, and you know for for 
if anyone who has the power to make law next week is listening, I think um, just think about uh, what what you're upholding uh, when you are allowing when you are um, that what you're upholding in this the system as it is just now doesn't see you as the human being that you are and that you're disbelieved and it goes against everything um, that I think many of those people in parliament really stand for or would would stand up and say like they would they would stand up and say that they stand for human dignity and human rights and so on but but quite in the same breath oppose a reform of a process that is just oppressive rooted in colonialism in my opinion um mm -hmm. misogyny oh sorry just makes me really sad and angry but also i'm just reflecting in my own personal experience recently so obviously i have I have been on hormones since 2001. Um, I had a hormone prescription from India when I arrived here and it was quite quickly accepted. But when I turned 40, my GP decided that maybe uh, I need to take different hormones or take in hormones differently. Um, and did that, but also felt that they must refer me to the gender identity clinic, which I was quite baffled by. Um, and like everybody else, I had to wait for years and they would keep asking me, have you heard? And I was like, no, I'm never going to hear. Um, I did eventually hear. I took up an appointment, which I felt so guilty about because, you know, this was someone else's appointment uh, that I didn't, I didn't really need it. And I go and see this doctor and he says, well, what you have is, is good enough. And my GP just needed a rubber stamp from the gender identity clinic to say that what they're giving me is good enough and should continue. They still haven't received that letter uh, almost six months after the appointment I went on. But it has been such a frustrating uh, time, but also goes to show the fragility of trans healthcare because we've heard from people talking about, uh, you know, wanting to get on the hormones. But I think there is a fragility even in, despite so many years, I still carry that fear that uh, mm -hmm. they might just take that away from me any minute. Uh, you know, I need to have the sort of GP who's trying to frustrate uh, the transition of, of trans people, uh, but actually they could do that even years later, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this is one of the written submissions uh, for this podcast. Hi there, I'm non-binary, and I just want to thank you for the opportunity to actually let trans people's voices be heard. This whole saga is a fine example of the way most minority discussions are held these days, without the minority in question being present or included at all. Although sometimes that's because we're not kept safe enough to participate. Just this week in my city of Dundee, we had to cancel Drag Queen Storytime because the queer folks are getting louder and more resolute that we're some form of danger. This process is a weird one. After over six years of discussions, it seems that the end might actually be in sight. There's a feeling that we should be grateful for this, but to be quite honest with you, I'm just angry. So much of the nonsense, so much of the shouting, so much of the abuse. 
could have been avoided if the government had had enough spine earlier and gone on with it rather than dragging it out for so long. I have raised this point directly with politicians responsible after the first consultation when it was suggested that they might drop it. They told me that that would not happen. I wish I wasn't so right. They owe us an apology, an apology to those of us who endured it, but also to those who didn't survive long enough to see it. This has to be one of the most consulted upon pieces of legislation ever, and it's just so nothing. The legislation tinkers at the edges of the process from 2005 that won't meaningfully change. It's watered down so much from what was promised. It's not world leading, it's not even international best practice. The three main issues with the legislation, in my own opinion, are one, there's still ridiculous waiting periods for no good reasons, other than it being some form of bone to throw to those with reasonable concerns. I have signed many statutory declarations in my previous career. Since people don't have a waiting period, why should trans people? Two, after years of progress for young people coming from boyhood, we're back to the old tropes about parental rights and people arguing against the rights of young folk. The same people who argue for the young person's right to vote or right to free transport or right to decide their own healthcare somehow think there should be an exception if they're trans. I can see the government watering this down further in order to win more votes. And three, this bill does nothing for non-binary people at all, not even a micrometer closer to any recognition. Given how difficult this tiny, tiny step for binary trans people was, it really does make me depressed about how difficult the next few steps would be for our own recognition. I really don't think I'll be recognised for who I am in my lifetime. A sad realisation that this probably isn't a country I want to live in anymore. Mostly, however, the general feeling is that it does nothing to address the real issues trans people face. Shy healthcare, both physical and mental, or any support through the rest of the NHS, lack of support in education or the job market, a complete lack of a ban on conversion therapy, the massive rise in transphobia, and an unwillingness to deal with this either politically or legally, etc., etc., etc. All of this culture war, all of this being in the crosshairs, and all for something that in a year's time, no one will give a toss about. For the question if I um, will apply to get a birth certificate updated, I think it's less if than rather a question if I can in any possibility do that. Um, so at the time of writing, non-binary inclusion is not being added as part of the reform. Therefore, I personally just can't get my birth certificate um, changed. Um, I might, however, consider it updating in the future should Hollywood ever amend the bill to include non-binary people in the future. But for right now, that seems like a very um, distant event. Um, contrary to how the culture wars frame it, trans people can update several pieces of our own state paperwork in a far more timely manner, like there's passports and driver's license as an example. However, I know a lot of um, particularly binary trans people, some who transitioned literally decades ago before me, who refused to update their birth certificate due to how lengthy, humiliating and costly the current process is. I believe there is a positive benefit to these reforms for people looking to update that final bit of paperwork. Um, so I do see some benefit to it. For myself, however, I, um, I find state recognition to be a fairly low issue on the list of priorities for trans and non-binary people right now. We are currently going through a crisis for trans healthcare. And while this culture war has escalated to such a point that there is an organized conversion therapy movement that has grown traction in the UK. And not just that, but also trans women in various parts of the UK are being housed in male prisons where they have already been subject to rape and sexual assault. So if I were to see the biggest benefit of the reform, um, it would be on the long-term de-escalation 
of this culture wars. If you look back on the gay marriage movement, while there was a material effect of the law, like it's beneficial for partners that they have um, a legal connection to their um, legally married spouse. But beyond the benefits of that, it's more of a symbolic gesture. So in the years after gay marriage was passed, you could kind of see this longer de-escalization of um, public homophobic perception and a greater acceptance of LGB people in the public eye. So I can see a similar shift happening with GRA reform with trans people. But, you know, that's a small hope that I have for the future, but I think that's probably my biggest benefit I see in this situation. So at this time, I don't feel the need to engage with trans healthcare systems. I've questioned if I wanted to in the past, and personally, it's just not for me at this time. However, I believe gender and sexuality be, to be very, uh, I would say, um, wobbly, complex things that don't remain static over a person's life course. I, I, I don't think anyone can ever know how they might feel about themselves tomorrow or years into the future. So maybe I don't need it now, but 40-year-old me might think things very differently. So trans healthcare is a universal human need as part of a right to autonomy over our own bodies across our life courses. And that would benefit anyone, even trans or cis, really. From like a non-binary perspective, there's It is difficult knowing that we basically got removed from the bill. You know, that was, that, that sucked. <laughs> and it seemed like such a pointless move to try and placate a small group of people. Um, but I think what the Scottish government really probably should have known was that there is nothing they could do other than scrap the entire thing that would have ever gotten these groups to back down because the only thing they want is if not to put an end to reforming the gender recognition act um then then you know certainly put in an end to reforming it uh, although plenty have made it quite clear that they do want to keep going if they ever got a victory there you know there there, there was no compromise that could be made here not really and, and and pulling non-binary people out of it and then watering the bill down further and further has just been a waste, really, when they could have just pushed ahead and enacted what the consultations, the public consultations, had shown to be the majority position, which was to include non-binary people and which was to extend the limit um, or the age limit down to 16 for people to access and which was to eradicate um, any waiting period you know like these were things that had support and still have support but they're gone anyway well not taking them to 16 but that has an extra caveat at the moment of, of an extended even longer period of waiting they're just changes that feel so disproportionate to what the public are actually saying they support. And instead it's about placating a very small group of people um, who are very loud, have a lot of connections, a lot of money behind them, over listening to 
the trans community and over listen to even what the public in Scotland are saying they want this bill to do? I, I think what was missing, what is missing. Um, I, I totally agree with what Steph was saying and I don't have anything to add, but uh, like to enhance what they said. Uh, but I think what was missing in all of this is, is bravery, but also like insight and foresight into what it is they were giving space to. Um, they allowed themselves to be captured by this powerful minority um, because it was so easy uh, for that to happen. And I suppose history has shown that uh, it is easy to capture people and bring fear when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the lives of trans people, and it feels like that's what happened. There was also a denial of um, of the warnings that were coming from trans people about who these people really were. were. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I think like that's what allowed the space to be taken because they genuinely thought that they had reasonable concerns, but actually the people who should be having the reasonable concerns and where this battle has played out in the sector that I work in, um, most of most of us don't have those concerns. And, you know, we're probably going to end where we started in that um, you're asking us to stop practicing what we are already practicing and raising concerns about something that we've been doing for so long, which is being trans-inclusive um, in the gender-based violence sector um, and have no evidence of it uh, causing massive harm or any harm uh, to our, our services. I think if the harm exists, it's probably towards trans people because of the uh, environment that has been caused and how scary uh, it can be for trans people to use to use gender-based violence services when they need them uh, because of the space that the Scottish government and other actors in this have given uh, to the people who oppose the existence of trans people. Yeah. And but the thing as well is the Scottish government of, you know, the, the, the gender critical movement wants to play this whole card of like, we've been ignored, we've been told to be quiet, we've We've been locked out of the process. Oh, but they've literally had everything they wanted handed to them. There was a public consultation. They went, no, do another one. All right, do another one. Then they're like, well, we don't care. Delay it. And then the Scottish government delayed it. And then when it finally came back around again, you know, after years of waiting, uh, they went, well, we want to be involved in the process. It's like, okay, come on in. And then they did. They went in and they shared their evidence. And the committee went, you don't have any evidence, because <laughs> they didn't. They had nothing to actually say, you know. They didn't talk about the GRR. They talked about other random things. They couldn't back up anything they were saying. And that was the conclusion of the report. It's like, you have no evidence for your position, and therefore we can't really do anything with that. At every stage, they've been involved. They've managed to delay it. But they still, at the end of the day, want to play it off like this is being rushed through, and they've been excluded from the process. It's like when they just haven't and mm -hmm. for for that the Scottish government now have this horrible situation across Scotland 
because they just kept giving away more and more and more until they realized that it would never be enough. Because what's really driving them is dislike, distrust of trans people. Like really at the very bottom, you know, yeah. it's not coming from a place that you can compromise with. And, you know, I can only look on at the work that you do and I've seen how much vitriol has been towards like, rape crisis centres because of the fact that they don't shut out vulnerable people. And it's just horrifying, honestly horrifying to watch. Yeah. So, you know, like, uh, I have massive respect for you for managing to um, continue continue through that at all. Yeah. But trans joy, that's where <laughs> that should be focusing yeah. on the good stuff. And now as we move on to perhaps the heaviest part of the show, I just want to remind everyone of the content warning at the beginning. Um, but these are really important contributions. So if you can, I hope you stick around and, and give it a listen. You wanted to hear from trans people? Here I am. I'm trans, but I'm never going to transition. I'm trans, but I'm never telling anyone outside my family. I'm trans, I'm terrified, I'm disabled. If my family weren't good people, they'd have thrown me out and I'd be dead. I live rurally. The old farmers here don't believe in Chile, let alone trans people. I go online. I hope it's better there. No. Online you are and will always be woman light. And people say this so much so often and talk about how people like you aren't trans and aren't deserving of respect and treat you like a meme, like a joke. People say AFAB people don't understand the privileges. And what do I say? I don't feel privileged. I'm barely an adult and I'm going to have to spend my whole life in hiding. And I already wonder, worry, what if I was wrong? What if I'm not trans? What if I'm just a silly AFAB trying to be different? And then someone says woman and it feels like a slap on the face. And the idea of having to be this short, this soft with the vagina and tits disgusts me. And I'm like, no, no, this is real. My life is just hell. And I can't defend myself. I can't be trans because I'm weak and disabled and anxious and raised voices make me cry. And I don't want to make people angry. And I don't want people to shout at me or hurt me. And I can't get surgery because I'm already on so many surgical waiting lists. And I can't go on hormones because I'm already on so many pills. And if things about me changed, people would notice. If things about me changed, people would notice. And I'm afraid. And what if they ask? How do I explain myself when I don't know what gender I am? Nothing feels right. And nobody will explain things to me because everything about the gray bit in between genders is all childish, mushy goo-goo. Oh, you are so worried if you have blue hair and pronouns. 
I just want to know who I am. I try to look at other trans people and it's all about knowing who you are and sex. And I already know I'm asexual and I don't know who I am. They say, try cutting your hair, try wearing different clothing. It does not help. Ever since I was born, life has been one fucking ordeal after another. And now this, my, my joints don't work. I'm going blind. I can't sleep. I can't work. I can't anything. And I can't even tell someone I'm trans without wondering if they'll hate me for it. So I don't. It's bad enough being Jewish in this country, let alone trans. So I don't. So I make a temporary email address so Google doesn't know I'm trans and they can't sell that information to people who would hurt me. So I live in this constricting prison. So I don't come out and nobody says anything. And I try to learn to live with being misgendered for the rest of my life because I've already met people who cheerfully told me people like me don't exist and I can't say anything. And one day I'll die and they'll bury me under the wrong name and say the wrong things at my funeral and maybe it won't hurt when I'm dead. I don't like being afraid and miserable, but I am not big and proud and powerful. I'm small and quiet and afraid and I'd rather not add dead or traumatized to the list. Besides, when my doctors don't fucking listen to me, when my ribs are collapsing and on me, why the fuck would they listen to this? My life already doesn't matter. I'm already living by the mercy of other people. One day I'll get tired of hiding and someone will beat the shit out of me and I won't feel any better for bothering to try. I spent most of my life fighting depression, but now that I want to live, it feels like the universe doesn't want me to. People say being trans is a simple idea and it's about being free, but it's not simple and I'm not free. It's another thing stacked up against me, against ever taking me seriously. Who would listen to a Jew? Who would listen to a trans Jew who says they're trans, but just looks like a woman? Who would believe someone who isn't a good transgender with a new name and a new look? And I've been like this all my life, really. Writing all this, I consider that you won't listen either. Maybe you'll have someone else to talk to. Maybe it's the wrong email. Maybe it doesn't get to you. Maybe you just don't care, who knows? It's a temporary email. So I'll never hear from you again. My life is shit. And the only reason people care is if they are my immediate family or if they want to make it worse. There's your fucking interview. That's what it's like on turf fucking island. I can only hope someone else out there isn't as miserable about their life and future as I am. Maybe there is some kid whose life doesn't already feel over by the time they're 22. Okay, that one was very powerful. <clears throat> um, I don't know if you want to read this one next, or who wants to read this one next. Do you need a break, Riddle? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> I think I caught their emotion. Yeah. So, whenever you're ready. <clears throat> As I write this, I'm painfully aware that my mother is downstairs and would possibly become verbally abusive towards me should she find out that I am writing this. I'm a 21-year-old trans man living in England, and every day since I've come out, I have either had to be the friendly and approachable trans person who never corrects people's pronouns and isn't political, or have had to hide my entire self from my unsupportive and unaccepting mother. At work, I have to pretend as if I'm not worried about the Tories stripping my rights and making it harder for me to exist, trying to wipe my very identity out of the country, as well as my worry that if I get clocked whilst walking home at night, I could potentially be the victim of a crime. At home, I have to pretend as if my masculinity and my identity as a man doesn't exist, constantly deadnamed and misgendered, even by those who claim to be supportive of me, such as my father and sisters and sister spices. I cannot correct them for fear that they would become verbally aggressive or even physically aggressive towards me. I'm unable to get a gender recognition certificate, a legal standing of my real self, as the government have made it nearly impossible. Thanks to their refusal to support people like me, it's almost impossible to get a gender dysphoria diagnosis in this country. And thanks to the inherent and systemic transphobia of the NHS, it makes it even harder. This inherent and systemic transphobia within our NHS is killing people. I've had several trans friends who, within the past few months alone, sorry, I'll say that again. Um, I've had several trans friends who, within the past few months alone, have tried to commit suicide or have started to self-harm due to this awful discrimination of which we face. Many of them are also black and brown, meaning that it's not just a transphobia issue, but also a racism one too. I've been forced to go private, which takes up the majority of my wages after I've paid my mother rent. I feel dehumanized and let down by the systems of which are supposed to care for me, but in fact, want me dead. So then they no longer have to deal with the burden of trans people's existence. Sometimes I feel suicidal too, and even worse, sometimes I just want to go to sleep and never wake up. But I keep fighting, if only so that one day I will be okay. I, I think, I mean, I suppose for me, it's important that we acknowledge that death has featured significantly in this. And that's a message to those who are listening to this, that if we are thinking only of our lives in the context of death and that have so dominant it has been in everybody's narrative, um, that where is the life? You know, what about our lives? Are we not entitled? Do we not have the right? to have happy, peaceful lives. And trans people do have happy lives. They have, we have moments of joy and, um, and beauty and kindness and love and all of those wonderful things that we all deserve. Um, but they can be hard to come by. But I think for me, it's like this law um, is, is not just about what we are remembered as. Um, we will be remembered for many more things, um, but we need to be remembered also for who we are in the years to come when someone goes looking for us, because I'm sure they will, because we go looking for those who came before us. They need to find us as we were and as we are today. And I think that's really quite important, a message. Um, that I just wanted to say, just hearing 
all these testimonies and even my own reflection on why this piece of paper is important. But I live a full life and so many of us do. And we will, despite these systems and these systems will change because they have to. I feel like I need to say that. Yeah, and I agree. I think um, it's, it's a, <laughs> if we're being honest, it's a miserable time to be a trans person in the UK. Um, it is, but it is really important that we don't forget the joy in our lives as well. And, you know, not only the joy in our lives, you know, regardless of the fact that we're trans, but also the joy that comes from being trans and the kind of euphoria of working out parts of who you are and seeing that become manifest. It's a really beautiful thing and a really powerful thing to experience and to see in other people as well. You know, yeah, it's just the only stories we ever really see in the press or online or on social media. It's, it is, it's 99% just the hard stuff. You know, we, we do need to remember about the good stuff and we do need to, like you're saying, Nado, is um, we, need, we need to be loud about the good stuff so that when other people come looking, they hear that story too. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because it is just a, a story that's been playing in repeat for decades and decades and decades. And if it's not trans people, it will be somebody else afterwards. And it was us before and it'll be us again at some point and just yeah. actually funny early on today uh i was reminded of an old conservative party party political broadcast from like 1988 where it was like thatcher trying to justify the poll tax right you know at the beginning and they were explaining how the poll tax would work and how councils would be wasting councils that wasted money on frivolous things uh, you know, very quickly they come apart who they were. But one of the uh, frivolous things that they showcased, you know, that comes up on screen is just gay seminars. So this is 1988. <laughs> the Tories are trying to scare people into voting for them so that Labour Council, so that Labour Councils don't waste money on gay seminars. And it's just so exactly the same right now with the fear around sex education and fear around teaching about the existence of transgender people and framing it as these frivolous things that don't matter when you know learning about the diversity of what it is to be a human being is something that actually all kids should be learning about um yeah it was there in the past, it's here now, it will be somewhere in the future, and there needs to be positive stories in there as well. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. I do hope this legislation passes so that we can 
move on and <laughs> start doing things that are clearly more important, like you know, secure this and then and then really start hammering down on getting better healthcare. Because it's something that we've also been promised that's just never came to fruition. Yeah. I hope so too. Is like a good place to wrap up? Is that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Happy to. Um, that was amazing. Thank you so much to both of you. I I know that was probably really a lot, especially having to read out those often quite emotional written written statements. Thank you so much for doing this uh, to you and to everyone who sent in contributions because this is important, and I hope people listen to it. I hope so, yeah. and I hope the legislation passes. I hope so too.